a Podcast One production. When Facebook bought Snapchat for $1 billion, people said, that's crazy. When Microsoft bought Spotify for $41 billion, people said, that's crazy too. But here's the thing. Crazy ideas are succeeding in a big way. So how can you come up with a crazy idea for an online business? And more importantly, how can you assess that crazy idea before you begin so that you have the highest chance of success? Believe it or not, there is a process for coming up with the crazy idea. And it works. I'm Bernadette Schwert, and this is How to Build an Online Business. How do you come up with a great idea for a startup? How do you choose the right idea to invest in? How do you know if your idea has got legs or if you should move on to something else? One man who has a knack for predicting what the future holds and how to come up with ideas that have a greater chance of succeeding is Morris Misalowski. He's one of Australia's most sought-after futurists and he's got a simple step process for coming up with ideas that work. Morris, where do great ideas for business come from? What a great question. It really is the question that everybody always asks. The reality is that they come from all sorts of really great spaces. They come from doing nothing. They come from doing something. But I think the best way to approach it is really to narrow it down. There are three sources, three sorts of great ideas that we're looking for. And the first one is what I call incremental ideas. They're ideas based on what we already do, just a little bit more of. You know, we keep asking ourselves, is what I did yesterday still good? Does it make sense? Did, you know, that, did that customer really love it? Maybe I should do it again. Incremental things. That's a really important and I find the most often place that great ideas come from. The second one are what are called evolutionary ideas. You're looking outside of your industry, you're looking away from what you normally do, and you're looking at what other people do. What great ideas do they have? How is their industry flowing? What new things are coming out? How are new people engaging with them? And you're asking yourself the question, how could I do that for me? How can I make that happen in my industry? And the third place, and the most difficult one, or the most joyous one, it is both. It's joyous because it's that revolutionary idea, and that's what it's called, revolutionary, that no one ever came up with. It's Mark Zuckerberg sitting in his shorts in some little cafe somewhere wondering, how do I pick up chicks? I mean, how do I get women? And he comes up with this notion of going in and taking the telephone book that exists within the college and turning it digital. Revolutionary. They're the three kinds of ideas. So if you kind of work down that path... And then figure out which one of those ideas is they've got at the moment. And then how do I take it forward? Good. So if I'm a small business owner and I'm thinking about starting up an, you know, a new idea, how do we test them? How do we research an idea to make sure that we are going down the right track? It's a big, big question. And for me, it starts really at the embryonics of what the question is. I mean, what, what is the idea? Where did it come from? By the time you're testing it, it's often too late. And that's where we mostly jump in. We have this great idea. It comes to us in the middle of the night or somebody suggests something over a coffee and we go, aha, and all of a sudden we think it's a great idea. We jump into it. We spend a lot of money and we lose a lot of money and time and effort and we get despondent. For me, it comes down to a a simple seven-step process that's simple to say and a bit more difficult to roll out. Difficult because it takes time. It's kind of like painting a house. When I paint my house, all I want to do is slap the paint on the wall. You know, I want to do it quickly. But somebody who does it really well actually prepares the wall, they sand it, they do all the taping up, and as horrible as that is and as time-consuming as it is, and the fact that no one ever sees it, it doesn't matter because the finished job is so much more satisfying 
this innovation process is really like that. So it's a bit like being a professional, isn't it? You know, if you're a professional artist, you look at your, your canvas, you prepare it and you do all the, all the right things rather than just slapping it on. So I think what you're talking about is applying a professional mindset to ideation and working out what is the best idea to run with because you're going to spend five to ten years of your life with it. So it's maybe worth going a bit deeper before you start. The reality is, must probably burn, that you're not going to spend five to ten years with it. In fact, it's going to roll more quickly. Five to ten years would have made sense five or ten years ago because you had all of that time to work through an idea. The reality is whatever idea you come up with most probably will only see you through for a short time because you will need to keep evolving it. The kernel of it might be the same. The idea is still great, but the way that you supply it, the people you supply it to, the bits and pieces you attach to it, whatever, has to evolve all the time. And that's where we get back to incremental. So step one. Step one in this process is really where we head. You know, it's that sanding stuff again for all those people that want to skip to skip to six. Too quick, let's go back to one. One is you can't do it all. You know, lots of us have lots of really great ideas. We really have to go back to choosing that one idea that we want to take forward. We just don't have that many hours in a day to look at four or five. I'm always telling my clients and audiences, just pick on one. This is a really good time to pick on one idea. And the good idea that you want to pick on really is by asking yourselves, if we don't do it, you know, would it be obvious? If we, if we don't do it, is our business really going to be missing that thing? Is the industry going to be missing that thing? In other words, it's just so obvious that somebody's got to do it. That's the first thing. You know, I'm also asking myself the question, if we do it, will its impact be obvious? Sometimes you come up with a really, really good idea. I mean, it just makes perfect sense. Everybody, including your mother, loves it. But when you think about it, it's so small and so insignificant, it would take so much time and effort to move forward with it. Even though it's a good idea, let's just put it to the side and forget about it. It's just not going to move us forward. And, and the third thing, and I think the most important one in some ways, if we don't do it, if we don't do this app, if we don't devise this, if we don't find a new client base, if we don't do this, is our business going to suffer? And if you answer yes to that, even though you might be time poor like we all are, walking through the mud and the wars and no time and effort, if your business is going to suffer if you don't do it, then you really, really have to get to it quickly. So step one for me is really about sorting through all of those and coming up with the one idea that you want to move forward through the other six steps. So what you're saying there, Morris, is that we have to run with an idea that doesn't let us go. You know, sometimes I talk to authors about what story are you going to write? And they say, it's a story I can't let go of. It's a story that just keeps me up at night. It haunts you. Yeah. It literally haunts you and doesn't leave you alone. And in fact, this process that we're talking about is designed to make sure it won't leave you alone because at every single step when I apply it, I'm actually trying to get rid of this thing. So we've got number one, decide. Number two is... Number two, good old number two is don't brainstorm, get drunk. I love this one. You know, the reality is that often we, we go to brainstorming, whether it's an official thing or we ask all our mates or whoever it is, everybody comes up with brilliant ideas. All they're often doing is regurgitating. They're coming back with the same idea. They're amplifying what you thought or they're telling you what mainstream wants. And they mean it with love. I mean, there's nothing untoward about it. But the reality is they're often just repeating what's already been done. And if it's been done, it might not suit you. You really do need to push a bit forward. So getting drunk to me is the next one. Now, I'm not referring to actual alcohol. No alcohol is required. But it goes back to the notion that when you're in that kind of a state, you know, you're not thinking clearly, you still want your pizza, you still want somewhere to sleep that night, you still want to be able to get home, but you just haven't got the faculties to make it work. 
What I find is a lot of the new businesses are really based on what's called frictionless, which is the new word of the time, frictionless, which means nothing gets in your way, regardless of how inebriated you are, how far away from an app you are. You know, no matter what's happening in your life, doing it is really easy. So getting an Uber car, for instance, is just opening the app. Getting a pizza from a pizza store now is really easy. Really easy. It doesn't matter what time of day. That's what I mean by get drunk. Go back, strip it back to its basics. Take it apart. Forget how it's been done. And reimagine if you were starting from now with all of the things we know about the world, how would we build it? So one of the questions I like to use sometimes with ideation is, wouldn't it be great if... And do you often hear people saying, you know, at dinner on public transport, wouldn't it be great if we could take a photo and have it deleted in 10 seconds? You know, they're, they're thinking about these things that matter to them and people are going, yeah, that'd be great, but no one's, exi- no, one, no one's doing it. So to me, that wouldn't it be great if question unlocks an opportunity because it's revealing something that hasn't been done. So can you think of any ideas that you've seen originate from your process? Well, there's lots and lots, I'm thankful to say. But, you know, there are all sorts of things. You know, I like going back in history in this thing too. So lately I'm finding a lot of great ideas that my clients and audiences are coming up with are things that we once did 20, 30, 40 years ago that haven't been done for quite a while. If you talk to your parents and grandparents, for instance, it was ordinary to get the milk and the bread coming to the door. Everybody had a tailor. Most women had a seamstress. It just was part of society. We lost that for all sorts of reasons, and because retail changed, we lost all of that connection. Now, if you look at a lot of the apps, a lot of the things that we're buying or looking at, they're all about one-to-one attention. They're about delivering to home. They're about making a seamstress come to you or being able to fit the clothes to make perfect for you. So I'm always saying, go back to history firstly. Let's have a look at what was done before because human nature hasn't changed. We're still people. We still love what we loved before. And the closer we can get to being what I refer to as selfish, and I mean that in the right sense, selfish, in other words, things that make our life easier, I think are really great products. So what you're talking about is the compression of the supply chain because that middle person is being cut out. You think about Amazon, you can buy direct now. You don't have to worry about going to JB Hi-Fi or Harvey Norman. You can buy it direct. So what you're saying is we want it instantly. We want it brought to our house or brought to our, you know, uh, personally. So in terms of the ideation and the research, what comes next? So what I'm looking at always now is step three for me is what's happening now. I really want to get a really good handle on the world around this product, this idea, this industry. We have to know what's happening now. Otherwise, we're not really making sensible decisions. Remember, a lot of the things that we're talking about now are not actually products either. A lot of the things we're talking about are experiences because experiences sell more than products. It's offering people the opportunity to go on a golf day. It's offering the opportunity for somebody to sit behind the kitchen and actually watch the chef cook and sit there and eat it with them. All of those things are really part of an experience that we're willing to pay for now. So when we're talking about ideas, they can be anything. I mean, they can be along that realm. But trying to understand what's happening now is really important for me. So I'm always scouring great what I think are great websites, and I use lots of blogs, and I do it down a number of different roads, but I'm looking at tech, for instance, so I might go to Mashable, or Engadget, or ReadWrite, or Gizmodo. There are lots of these sorts of blogs around, and a blog is easy to find, literally just go to a search engine that you love, and type in blog and your industry, and it will come up with hundreds of them, or or type in blog and tech, and it'll come up again with hundreds of them, and choose the ones that you want to look at. What are you looking for when you, when you do this research? You know, strangely enough, I'm not looking for anything. I'm looking for everything. 
meaning that I don't know what it is until I see it. But what I'm looking for is a sense. I'm looking for an understanding of what's happening in the marketplace. What are people talking about? What are they getting excited about? I don't know till I find it. And you'll find that if you're in this phase, it, that kind of makes sense because you'll get the aha moment, most probably from a, a silly word in paragraph three that nobody else sees any sense in. It just, for whatever reason, just lights up like hallelujah and says, this is what I've been looking for. So don't sit there for hours reading, but just go to the heading, which is what I do. Go to the heading. If it kind of resonates, read a little bit more. If it doesn't, just skip through, but get into the habit every day, every second day, just read through these because you will get a really good sense of what's happening out there. Also look for blogs around your specific area. So whatever your industry or your concern is, again, just go to a search engine, type in blog in your industry, and it will give you a whole lot of them. Often I type in top 10 blog industry, and it gives me the top 10. And then I make a choice. I don't read all of them. I make a choice of the ones I want. So I find that's a really good thing to do. I'm also always looking at the money trail because the one thing I know for sure is that where the money flows is, ne- is normally where the next product or service comes to. So I look for VC, venture capital, or investment. Where are people with lots of money putting their money now because they think they're going to make a return on it? And that gives me a 12 to 18 month window. And there are places you can find that as well, strangely enough. There are some really interesting sites around. There's one called crunchbase.com, crunchbase.com. And there's another one, great name, whogotfunded.com, whogotfunded.com. And both of those will give you an understanding of your industry and how much money's gone into it. So for me, I'm doing all these kinds of things simultaneously because I really want to understand from as many different viewpoints as possible, where does my product sit? Where do I sit? Will the world love me? Has the world moved on since I had that great idea? And what you're also saying, Morris, is that there's trends and there are fads. You need to know the difference firstly, but secondly, if things are on the up, you know, get on that bandwagon. And the example I use, I guess, is Amazon when they bought uh, Whole Foods. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we remember when organic was just this misshapen carrot, you know, in a wicker basket in the corner of the supermarket. No one went near the organic section. Now, of course, they bought Whole Foods for 13 billion American. So that says to me, organic, get in. Vegan, get in. You know, and this was a while back. So in terms of the trends, you're saying, look at the, the money trail because if you're in your world and you're busy, You haven't got the time to work out what the money men are doing or the money women, but you look at these sites and it will tell you that this is an industry that's on the way up. I'm Bernadette Schwert, and this is How to Build an Online Business. More after the break. So in terms of the person listening and thinking about this idea, what's next? Step four is a really difficult one. You've got to listen. Because what happens normally about now is that we begin to believe our own publicity. We think that we've come up with the best idea, the marketplace has never seen it, we're going to take the world on. And unfortunately, half our brain switches off, I find, around here. You just won't listen to sense anymore. You know, your mother's trying to hit you over the head, you just won't listen anymore. So no, step four to me is really going out and going back to the marketplace with the idea and seeing if it makes sense in a broader space. You do that in a number of ways. Firstly, tell people, but be limited in what you say and you'll know what's appropriate in your industry, in your circle, in your group. Yeah. So that makes, firstly, go out and talk to people. If you're able to, you might want to get together a little focus group, which is a group of people that you might not know and put them through a particular process you want to do or get them to eat the cake you want to sell or get them to look at the garden you might want to do. So you're taking them and giving them a real world experience 
and asking them their thoughts. Did you enjoy it? Was it you know, what price would you pay for it? And whatever else. So you're getting their input. Another one I like, which is not used often enough, I don't think, and actually solves a few other problems, is crowdfunding. Now, crowdfunding sites are used by businesses that don't yet have a cash flow normally, but they have a really great idea and they're looking for people to invest in it. I talked to you before about chasing the money. Crowdfunding site is another place to chase the money because if you can put your idea up, if it's succinct enough and gets enough people interested, they will start to put their hand in their pocket and they will fund you before you even have a product or a service available. To me, that says a lot about whether that thing is going to succeed or not. I think what you're talking about here, Morris, is the minimum viable product, isn't it? The MVP, getting something out to the market that they can test. And I think what people may not know about Uber, for example, you know, a billion dollar company in Australia is that they started with the founders of Uber in Australia going down to Sydney airport with a flyer and putting it under the windscreen wipers of taxi drivers and saying, do you want to earn extra money to try our app? All they were looking for was a pool of people to test their app. And so the people subscribed, a few taxi drivers got involved and here we are all these years later, it's amazing success. So I think the idea I'd like to communicate is Great ideas, big ideas start as small ideas and you've got to test them. And you get one customer, you've got an idea. So the idea that I just want to really leave with people is start small, test it, do a short course, see if people come to your short course. You know, set up an eBay store, an Etsy store, a pop-up store. And there's no harm in testing nowadays. There was a time when it was considered to be that horrible word failure. You know, if it didn't work, everybody around you looked at you and you looked down at the floor because you were so embarrassed. It's not true now at all, at all in any sense. If you take it as an opportunity and look at it that way and you do it in a limited sense, don't spend a lot of time, don't spend a lot of budget, don't spend a lot of money, but keep your ears open all the way through, keep listening, keep learning, don't make it an emotional type approach, then it's a really good step to undertake. And as you said, you grow businesses astronomically by listening really well, because the one thing, another thing I've learned over the years is that customers know really well what they want. So we've got the idea, we're testing it, we maybe have a little bit of interest, Uh, maybe we need to decide how do we grow this even further? How do we amplify this up? What's the next step? So for me, I said to you all the way through, I want to belt this thing out. So I'm really trying to make sure it works by making sure it doesn't work. And step five to me is answering the simple question, is it worth fixing? Again, this may be a really great idea. It may have merit. There may be marketplace, but it may not be right for you. So don't get overawed by it. You know, because it's a great idea, it doesn't mean it's a good idea for you. And it doesn't mean you should spend the rest of your life or the next week or two doing it. So the way that I try and work that out is really to ask myself or my clients, what are the top three things that add value to your business? And if it's in one of those three, then absolutely send it on to the next level, without a doubt. If it's not one of those, then you really have to ask yourself whether you want to go outside of the core of what you do. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's a big question to ask and it has to be answered. It can't just be assumed. So let's say there is an idea for you and you want to take it further. What's the next step in the process? So the next one is that I give you a minute, one minute to tell me the idea. I mean, if you can give me the idea back in a succinct sentence, tell me what it is, why it's going to work and why you should do it, then I think we're on to a winner. And I'm really tough about that minute because I know the greater you can condense it, the quicker you can tell the story and it makes sense to someone who hasn't heard it, the more time and effort you've spent in actually thinking it through, the clearer the vision is for you and most probably the more ready you are to spend the resource. And I'm not talking about just money. I'm talking about the more important resource of your time and your energy.
So what you're saying there is uh, really tapping into what you said a moment ago, that you've got to talk about it with other people, pitch it, try it. And if it's not working, hear why it's not working and let other people say to you, you know what, I like it, but I've seen it done before. Have you considered doing that? So when you listen and take that feedback and you iterate, that's when products become amazing. Because what I've discovered in my travels is that often a business starts as one thing, becomes something else completely different. And I guess the example I'd use is um, Selby Acoustics, which is a company that used to sell TVs online. They were going head-to-head with Kogan and they were just selling TVs. It was going okay, but what the guy realised was that these TVs are really heavy. They break down. I've got to ship them to Perth you know, from Melbourne, really expensive. And the the margins just weren't there. So after a while, he started to think, you know what? I send the, I send the TVs, but I also send the cables with them. Why don't I just sell the cables? Then there's no warranty. No, no one, you know, complains. There's no customer service required. They don't require, you know, shipping back. And that was where he took his business. So he got rid of the TVs and stuck with the cables. And I thought that's just a really nice idea about... You have to start, you make a mistake, you learn and you iterate and then that new idea is what you do. Yeah, I agree with all of that except for the word mistake. I mean, I think we beat ourselves up with language and when we talk about mistake, it becomes a negative. I mm. don't know what word we replace it from. I, I talk about it as learning. I really do because mm. I prefer that word. He tried a business that he thought was sensible. He made a little bit of money. It wasn't enough. It didn't make sense to him of why he was going down that road and he learned and he evolved it. And that is that incremental we spoke about before too. It is all part of this process. At this step, really, I need to know that the, the, the idea is understandable. It really makes sense to a whole lot of people that it's implementable, that it can actually be done, that you can do it with the resources you have, the time and the effort can be done. Some ideas are wonderful, but they require the deepest of pockets. Is that something you can do today? Maybe, maybe not, but you've got to answer that implementable. And the third one for me is alignment. I want to make sure that whatever this idea actually is actually fits into your world, into your people, into the way that you want your life and your business to evolve. So it's got to be able to align. You know, all the stars have to come together. And I'm saying that and being tough about it because to me, this is where the energy comes from doing the hard work, the next couple of steps, which is actually bring it to market. If it's an idea you've been hanging on to, but you know, you're really not all that enamored of it, you've just done so much effort and so much time, I'm going to do it, then it most probably is destined for failure. If you don't, if you honestly don't have the resource and the time to do it, even though it's a great idea, it most probably won't succeed either, which is why this step really is important because after this, we really do press the accelerator. So let's just talk about the monetization of an idea. And I'll give an example. There's a colleague of mine who's got a business about, it's called like the afterlife and that you record your life story and it gets stored. And then when you die, your family can access it and all the videos and, you know, wills and all your stocks and stuff like that. But he hasn't made any money from it. And he doesn't even expect to make any money for a couple of years because he wants to sell it to somebody. Do we need to make money quickly or are we okay in saying it's not going to take, it's going to take a couple of years for us to make some money? It really depends on what you need to get out of it. If this is a bread and butter business, if it really does mean putting food on the table and clothes on your back and a roof over your head, then you might not have a few years. So maybe the good business idea gets shelved or gets looked at as a second thing that you do. So it really depends on your priority. But the reality for many businesses now is that it's not going to make immediate money. And that's such a strange thing to say, because I was brought up with ROI, return on investment, which meant there were rules and there were maths and calculators and all kinds of things you could use to figure out if I did this by this by that, it would equal this. And if it didn't do that, then it failed. And using that word in its true sense, failed. 
Today, you look at businesses, even the largest of businesses, and they often don't make a profit. They're able to pay people, but it's because they're turning the money over. There's really not anything to be taken out. There's no real joy. And that is often the case, especially when it's a technology or one of these new type businesses, because what they're looking to do is to sell it. So it's not unusual now that a business might come to me and say, look, I've got this idea and we work through all the steps. And the business model, in fact, is four or five years out for them to make money. And we might look at if we did sell this, who would be the most likely person in the marketplace now to want it? And we actually begin to model that business on them. So we, make, we use the language that they might use. We, we go to the places they might go online. We might even physically go to the award shows or whatever else they do. In other words, we're making them constantly aware that we are here. And what we're doing is tantalizing them. And if we build enough of a database, enough subscriptions, enough whatever it is that we can go to them and say, look, here's volume. Here's a good add-on for your business. It really is worth giving us that money instead of you investing it and starting from scratch. That's a really solid business model now, but it's different from anything we did five years ago. So if I'm an 18-year-old guy and I'm staying you know, at home with mum and I'm lying on the couch and she's saying, get off and get a job. And you say, it's okay, I've got three years <laughs> and then I'm going to make some money, mum, so just bear with me. You know, is this where we're at, that people are trying to um, you know, push things out? You know, mothers, just... mothers never fall for that. So <laughs> perhaps mum isn't the one to convince about three years out. But the good thing about mum is she must probably feed you and clothe you anyway for that period of time. Yeah. To, so, me, to me, that, that model really has to be the model. It's not something we tell ourselves or convince ourselves that this is, you know, this, that at the end of three years, a fairy will arrive and everything will be wonderful. It is a solid business strategy and we actually build a business strategy based on it. And there are ways to go about that. It makes perfect sense. What do venture capitalists look for? What are the metrics that if someone's starting a business and they're thinking, I've got three years to make this, you know, attractive, what should they be focusing on? So venture capitalists are the people who look ahead. They're different from banks because what they're looking for is a great idea. They're looking for most probably a great idea and most probably a good set of people or a person. That's what they're investing in. If the person has a track record, in other words, done it before, then she or he goes to the top of the queue. It just seems to be the way it is. I find it's really easy for a person that's sold one really good idea to sell the next and the next. But if you're that first person, it's hard work. It is. You have to be able to convince yourself first of all the things we've spoken about. You have to be able to document that because they are still looking for that kind of a business plan approach to it because it's not the document, strangely enough. But what they want is the succinct conversation. You know, it's that step I said about before, that one sentence. They really want you to describe quickly to them the idea for the same reason that I've said to you it should happen. And they want you to give them the business case scenario with the warts and all because they will see through this thing of I'm going to make $50 million in the first year if it's absolutely not true. So they're not afraid of hearing that there isn't a profit for the year one, year two, year three, if they can see year four, five might be it. If they can see that maybe you're going after one of the big whales to sell to, and it makes sense to them, they might invest as well. There's no hard and fast rules. There are often, now I'm finding anyway, venture capitalist groups that prefer one area than another. So some might involve, some might invest in a telco, others might invest in a service product, others might invest in retail. So that's becoming more common. So you might find that group of people who's more likely to be interested in your avenue, but you have to go to them as you would have done a bank manager a long time ago with a really solid case, a really solid business case. The difference is that the ROI, what they're looking for, is different from a bank manager. 
I have been a judge on some award panels uh, and one of them was the online retailers industry. And so as a result of being a judge, I got access to all the applications from all the top online businesses and how they, you know, why they should win an award. And it was fascinating because they gave us the warts and all. The thing that I took from that was if you're a small startup and you're thinking about being bigger and who isn't, what you should do is go to those award applications and anyone can access them and apply or even attempt to apply because what you get are the questions that the award people want to know and you have to answer them and it's giving you the roadmap. It's saying if you have a plan for three years to sell this, look at these questions because that's what you're going to be asked in three years' time. So start strong. You know, f- focus on what you need to do now. So in three years, you've got the results that the VCs are looking for. Yeah, I think that's a really great thing to do because even if you're not applying, as you said, it, it takes you down that journey. The questions that you ask that you have to answer there are questions you'll have to answer elsewhere, maybe not in the same order, maybe not as many, but you'll definitely have to know all of that. And today, you've really got to be on top of things. We talk about a world where everything's changing and I don't think that's true. I actually think it's the rate, it's the range of change that we are worried about, meaning that there are so many things happening at once, it's really difficult to keep on top of. So what's the next step? What are we up to? Well, we've kind of covered it. Next step for me is, can you show me the business case? And I say, if you can, then you're wrong. Because I find there is there are fewer and fewer times when there is a business case for this. In other words, again, that ROI, that one plus one equals two, that works for incremental businesses. Yeah? If I add this product on, I'm likely to sell more of this to this customer base, buy this volume, that makes sense. But if we're playing in one of the other ones, if we're playing in that revolutionary space or that evolutionary space, we really have to have the things that we've spoken about before, a solid understanding, solid foundations, be able to convince people of our idea, because that's exactly what it is. We have to convince them of our idea, and then hopefully they will want to join. So, Morris, what you're saying is that you might have an idea for a business, and a lot of people just go out and start. You know, and there's merit in that as well, I Absolutely. think, just in trying it. And what you're also saying is do that plus, do this rigorous research so that when you are, you know, a year down the track, you, you, you're in a better place to see success rather than just hope for success. So how would you sum up that concept of finding a good idea and testing it? For me, it really is about finding, I know this word's been used a lot, but your passion. For me, the passion is what is it that's going to make your life fulfilled? I'm not really interested in the product or service as such. I'm interested in the human because this comes back to human. What's the human want to achieve? Where does their, Where's their life heading? What do they want to do with it? How much time do they want to spend working? How much time do they want to spend selling? What, sort of, what sorts of people do they want to meet in their lives? Really, what is it that you want to achieve? And then go out and listen. Look at the world. Find the, the way the world's evolving. You know, look at history. Look at blogs. Look at other things if you haven't yet got the courage to voice what your idea is. And then have the courage to stand up and say, this is my idea. And I'm now the champion of that idea. I'm the only one on this planet that can move it forward. And I'm going to move it forward sensibly. Like a child, I'm going to care for it. I'm going to nurture it. I'm going to take it through all of its evolution, take it through its teenage years and see it into maturity. I find that's a really good foundation for a business if you approach it that way and take it seriously, even though it's a lot of fun, and work through the steps. I mean, I know, again, we can paint our house without all all this stuff underneath. But the finish just isn't as good. You've got to paint it again quickly. It often doesn't satisfy you the same way. If this is an ongoing income, something that you want to be a part of your life for quite a while, take a bit of time and effort to build it the same way you did with your life, the same way you do with everything else in it. So the next time you come up with a crazy idea, don't repress it. Express it. Get it out to the world. 
Tell everyone you know and see where it takes you. That bright idea could be the next Snapchat. Crazier things have happened. How to Build an Online Business was produced by Dave Swalensky. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. Executive producer is Grant Tothill. Recorded in the Podcast One Studios, Australia. For more episodes, head to podcastone.com.au, download the Podcast One app or look us up on Apple Podcasts.